Great. If you've got your Bibles, if you uh, keep them in Acts chapter 2, that would be really helpful. Uh, we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts, uh, which is why we're in Acts chapter 2, following on from last week in our series, Mission Unstoppable. Um, I think, yeah, I was sharing a, a church this morning, a friend had asked me to go and speak there, and I was sharing it with them how much I thought, I totally agree with Ian that Mission Unstoppable would be a much better name uh, than Acts, you know, because then you would kind of have a clue what it's about before you got there. I like the idea of, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Mission Unstoppable, Romans. Um, that would be brilliant. Um, but, you know, so yeah, the, t- the like, titles like that in the Bible and the little headings aren't divinely inspired, so I think we can, you know, probably write that in. Um, I'll probably delete that bit from the recording, just for safety. <laughs> so, um, so we're looking at Peter's sermon this week, and I'll be really honest with you, it's been a real challenge this week looking at this passage, uh, partly because I'm looking at a sermon, and then I'm going to do a sermon on a sermon, um, and that just seems a little weird. So I had toyed with the idea of memorising it, coming up speaking that and then sitting down and just leaving it at that um, but then you could all have gone home, home and read it and you know, been cross with me that uh, you've come out and you could have just sat at home and, and read the passage so, um, so let's see if what I've got makes sense I've called it today, I've not, I was going to name it after another song uh, like last week we had Winds of Change by the Scorpions but I've called it Spirit Preaching I was going to call it Right Here Right Now um, but thought I would then spend every opportunity I had trying to come up with a song title so titles in the, the sermon, titles for the next sermon based on a song. So I've not done that, I've scrapped that because um, I would quite enjoy it and it would waste time. So, so let me just start by saying um, that here in this church we, we love Bible preaching. We love it when it comes straight from the Bible for, for loads of different reasons. Uh, we love hearing about everything that goes on in the Bible. And I think one of the reasons that we love it is because we get to teach and we get to hear about Jesus. And when that happens, people become Christians. Christians become more like Jesus. And the community we live in changes for the better. And it brings glory to God. And it brings joy to God as well. And we love the work of the Holy Spirit too. He brought us the Bible. He's he's kept it safe. He's had it translated into our language. It's nicely bound in a book that we can go and buy from a shelf, pick up from our bookshelves. Um, you don't have to buy it from your own bookshelf. Uh, and you can read it in your own language. And we love the fact that he gives us the faith uh, to understand that. However, when we come to it, it's good to understand a little bit of what's going on. So what I'll do is I'll pray and then we'll get into uh, my titles that aren't named after songs this week. So, so let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good. Father, we thank you that your word is good. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Father, we thank you that uh, we'll hear about him this afternoon. Father, I pray that you would um, yeah, challenge us in our hearts and our minds as we look through this passage. Father, I pray that you would bring us to a greater knowledge of who Jesus is, what he's done, and why he's done it. And Father, I pray by your spirit you would work in the hearts of each of, of us to either come to know Jesus for the first time or to become more like him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Okay, so Peter gives this sermon. Um, So I thought this is a good question to start with. Who 
is Peter. Now, I don't necessarily want to assume that everyone's got a kind of, has read Peter's autobiography. He's not written one, so if you have, um, that'd be very interesting. Um, so I thought, what has led Peter to this point of being stood in front of a massive crowd of thousands of people talking and preaching about Jesus? Because, and the reason I would kind of want to ask that question is not long before this happens, Peter wasn't really this man. And by that I don't mean either he used to be a woman or he was somebody else or anything strange like that. I just mean before this, he wasn't this kind of charismatic, bold, super confident um, kind of person. Because let's have a quick look back through some of the stuff Peter's done in his life. So Peter was one of the first disciples called by Jesus. He was one of his closest disciples. Um, He'd done some amazing things. Jesus called him out of his fishing boat. Um, Peter had given food out at the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. He'd walked on water at Jesus' command. Peter also pulled a two drachma coin, I don't know how big it was, out of the mouth of a fish like that to pay the two drachma tax uh, when they didn't have any money. He saw Jesus transfigured on the mountaintop when Jesus was revealed in all his glory. Peter was also the one who, when Jesus said to him, who do you say I am? Peter's response was, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus told him that that had been revealed to him uh, by God and that that was the rock on which he would build his church. He was also the one who chopped the ear off the high priest's servant in the Garden of Gethsemane and was there as Jesus picked up the ear and put it back. And that must have just been amazing. That was one of her, my last church, one of the girls in the youth group, that was one of her favourite stories in the whole Bible. That bit. Peter was also the one who promised Jesus through thick and thin that he would stick by him no matter what happened. It was Peter who denied Jesus three times before the cock crowed on the night um, before the crucifixion. Later, it was also Peter who Jesus asked three times, do you love me? And he said yes three times. But this isn't really the Peter that we see in Acts chapter 2. Earlier on in, in the book of Acts, we see Peter and the other disciples in a room casting lots to decide who's going to be the next disciple. They're in a room. They're not out in the world. Um, also, throughout the Gospels, Peter is portrayed as you know, really keen, really eager. If he had one of those school reports, you could just imagine the, you know, the, the grade column, probably kind of DE, effort one, 100% on effort. You know, he's really good at effort, but, but the quality of some of the things that come out of his mouth wasn't always brilliant. Um, so what has happened? What, has, what change has happened to turn Peter into this bold, courageous, evangelist, preacher person that we hear of in Acts chapter 2? Well, we kind of looked at it a bit last week. We looked at the idea of uh, the Holy Spirit uh, being poured out. We looked at the kind of Pentecost, the, the, the rushing wind, the tongues of fire, and the different voices, that they were, the different tongues that were speaking in. And the spirit of Jesus at this point has taken hold of Peter and he's equipped him for his life and his ministry. It's because of the spirit that Peter stands up and he preaches, taking the risk for God, preaching to this large crowd. I had wondered, what would have happened to Peter if the crowd didn't like what he said? Massive crowd, little Peter, if they'd turned on him, you know, 
within very different results. So, and also in this passage, we'll see some of the stuff that Peter says from the Old Testament. He goes to the Old Testament and he talks from the book of Joel, chapter 2, and he uses a couple of the Psalms. And he says, and I can't speak Greek, but apparently the Greek translates a couple of these words to, to say that is this. Okay, and we're going to get to that uh, shortly. And he takes his hearers, takes the people listening to him through some really hard truths, um, and he takes them straight to Jesus. And he shows that Jesus is the true human. He shows that Jesus is the true Israelite, and he shows that Jesus is the true Israel. He says that if you want to know God rightly, you have to know him. You have to get to know him through Jesus, and that's the only way. The person we see in Acts chapter 2 is the new spirit-empowered Peter. Peter can now, by the spirit, live out the truth of what he understands about Jesus. So, that's Peter. That's who we're, who is talking at this point. The Spirit is on him, and he preaches to this massive crowd of thousands of people. Okay, so the first thing we need to know about Spirit preaching is that it is biblical. It comes from the Bible. In a minute, we're going to go on to, to look at how this sermon is all about Jesus. Uh, but before that, I want to show you something else that Peter does here. And it's the way that Peter uses the Bible. And I think it's super, super key for us to kind of see what he's doing. Um, because it can be really helpful for us as well. When Peter comes to the Bible, he doesn't kind of put the Bible there and stand here and says, the world looks like this. How does that make sense in here? Because that comes up. So he doesn't say... I'm going to look at the world and how does the Bible fit with the world? He steps back from all of that and he says, what does the Bible say? And then from what the Bible says, how does the world fit with what I can read? Here, just before the passage that Jeremy read, um, it says from verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. At that point, the world sees drunk men babbling. At that point, Peter looks at the world and says, the Bible says that this would happen. He says, this going on here is that from the Bible. And, and I, I, I firmly believe that if we have a biblical understanding of the world, things will make much more sense. In, in with what I do, I tend to to meet all sorts of different people. I meet different ministers and pastors and vicars, even sometimes, yeah, vicars. Which, and I think, to be honest with you, I'll say this, and I might I get Sam to delete this off the recording as well. You can tell the difference between a vicar and like a minister or a pastor of a different church because vicars have just got an air of vicariness about them. I'm not sure what it is, but there is an air of vicariness about vicars, um, which is how you can definitely tell them. And I, I genuinely don't know what that is, but there is something. Um, Anyway, that's beside the point. So I meet all these different people. And it's sometimes really interesting to see where they're coming from. Uh, sometimes I meet people who kind of have certain ideas of, of how church should be done and certain ideas they're trying to push in their church. And, and sometimes that's brilliant because it, it, they, they love the Bible, they love Jesus. And it stretches me to think, actually, why do we do things the way we do them? You know? Why do we do what we do the way we do it? 
mean, they've got a, they love the Bible, they love Jesus, and they're doing it a different way. And it's just really interesting and to be stretched in that way. But other times I meet different people and they're, they're talking about the Bible and, and why they don't agree with it. And that kind of brings different issues. Um, I was at a, a minister's meeting the other day and, and I, I met someone who, who they told me categorically uh, that something I firmly believe the Bible teaches definitely wasn't true. Um, and I found it a little bit difficult. I didn't really know what to do with that. I didn't want to have an argument and about how to interpret the passages because I thought that's not going to be a fruitful approach here. Um, but yeah, but I thought ultimately it's got to come from a place of where our authorities lie. And I, I felt and I hope, and this might, may sound a little bit uncharitable, but I hope and I pray that my authority, authorities come from Jesus. They come from the word of God. And I felt like the person I was talking to was saying more, the Bible can't say that because my God wouldn't do that to me. You know, that wouldn't be the way that my God would, would work these things out. And I felt like their authorities seemed to be coming from them saying, you know, this is what I've experienced, this is what I know, therefore the Bible has to fit with that rather than my experiences and what I know have to fit with what the Bible says about the world. Um, yeah, it was just a really odd experience. You know, here in Peter's sermon, Peter takes what the Bible says and he interprets the culture and the climate and the things that are happening and he sees what God says about them. So his question is, how does the world fit with what the Bible says? As he stood in front of thousands of people, he says, this is what the Bible said. It says, and this is happening right now in front of your eyes. He says, understand the world from the Bible, Bible's viewpoint, and it will make sense to you. He says, the community that God is going to build in his world uh, and for the future, he looks back to the prophet Joel, and he says, this uh, will come about as Jesus empowers his people by his spirit. So, where are we? From verse 14 he says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Fire and blood and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As I kind of read through that, I thought, actually, these are all the people that, God's, that Peter says, you know, that's what it says in the Bible. And it's happening now, right in front of your eyes. And I thought, actually, who are the people that God is pouring his spirit out on to make this new community? It makes it quite an interesting read. So he says, um, here you've got the young and old, you've got men and women, you've got the high-powered and the servants. And as we go through the rest of the book of Acts, we'll see that Jesus, by his spirit-empowered disciples, will continue to meet with all these different types of people and introduce them to Jesus. Here we see that Jesus is making for himself a new community. He's making a new community from all the other communities on the earth. 
And these are the people that will be with him forever in the new creation. It's not about whether you're good enough for God. Because he'll pick people from anywhere, any part of society. It's not about where, whether you're good enough for God or whether you deserve it. But it's whether you can see with the eyes of faith that God's too good for you. And that he's made it all possible for you to come to know him. If that's the first thing, that spirit preaching is biblical. The second one, oh, that's the last bit there. There are no boundaries to the people in God's community. Is this one. That spirit preaching is all about Jesus. So again, Joan said it as she was reading from the passage for us, which is just excellent. She said that she loves the word of God. And in this church, you know, that's what we... That's what we want to be like. We want to love God's word. Um, You know, we believe it and we believe in Jesus. We believe in the spirit. We believe that the Bible is a book written by men inspired by God's spirit. And we believe that it is about Jesus. It starts with Jesus. It's got Jesus all the way through the middle of it. And it ends with Jesus. And by God's grace, that's what we want this church to be as well. We want it to be all about Jesus. And Peter, in this sermon, gives us a great picture of who Jesus is so in verse 22 he says men of Israel listen to this Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know he says this Jesus is God's man he's the God man he's God come amongst us he says we know it you know it, know it too. And you know it because God has accredited him, accredited, that's too many C's, accredited him to you by the amazing things that he did. He's done the, the signs, the wonders and the miracles. And he says, you know it too because you, like me, Peter says, you saw them with your own eyes. You know all about it. In verse uh, 36, it says, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. Peter says that God made this same Jesus both Lord and Christ. And when he says Lord, at that point, uh, all the people stood there listening would, have, would understand that the word Lord there is the same as the, the Lord of the Old Testament, the, the God of the Old Testament, the, the kind of the Jehovah God of the Old Testament the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, of Moses and Daniel and Elijah and Elisha and even King David. And now, you as well. And also, he's the Christ. And that's not Jesus' second name. Sometimes people may think it is. Christ is another title that is given to Jesus. And it's a really special and specific one. And it's only given to one person in all of history, never to be taken from him and given to anyone else. And it means God's holy, chosen, and anointed king. So Peter, in his sermon here, he says, this Jesus is just amazing. This Jesus is the God-man. This Jesus is the one that you call to, to be saved from death and hell and judgment. This Jesus is the one who raised the dead, he cleansed the lepers, This Jesus is awesome. So Peter paints the most glorious picture of Jesus to the people who are listening. He says, 
you can, you can just imagine the crowd at this point kind of nodding their heads, you know, and you know, potentially if they were a little bit maybe Pentecostal, uh, uh, Pentecost, say, you know, amen and preach it, brother, and all sorts of things like that, and woo, yeah, or, yeah, whatever they want it to be. You can just imagine them getting really into this picture of Jesus that Peter is preaching. You know, maybe you feel a bit like that now, although with typical British reserve, doing it like this. Um, and as Peter paints this picture to the crowd, you can just imagine they're all amazed and excited by Jesus. And then he comes in and he hits them right between the eyes. Not literally, because there's an awful lot of them and it takes him ages. But he hits them right between the eyes with his words. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, you can imagine at that point, and you, the crowd, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. At that point, when they're all really excited about this great picture of Jesus, Peter goes, and this amazing Jesus, this God become flesh, the one that did the miracles, you killed him, you nailed him to the cross. The next thing, uh, uh, this, about spirit preaching is, so it's biblical, it's about Jesus, and thirdly, it's confrontational. Here, Peter confronts the crowd. He says, you took the God-man, the miracle-working, leper-cleansing, teaching, preaching, incarnated God, this disciple-making, healing, feeding person. You took Jesus and you killed him. You can just imagine the change that there would have been in the crowd. They're all so excited about him and how great he is. Then Peter says, you killed him. Jesus' blood is on your hands. You're all murderers talk about killing the mood or probably being able to cut the atmosphere with a knife but what a dangerous thing for him to say here's a massive crowd and again if they hadn't you know, if, they, if they'd wanted to turn on him at any point there was a lot more of them than there was of Peter because there were thousands of them and one Peter Ben can explain the math to you later on that one if you like um, Yeah, if they hadn't liked it they, they could have been dead and the disciples as well but Here's the hard truth for you and me as well. Jesus' blood is on their hands. But just as easily, Jesus' blood can be on our hands too. On yours and mine. The Bible teaches really clearly that if you are a person, and I think nearly everyone here is today, if you're a person, you're descended from Adam. (coughs) Adam at the very beginning of the Bible. But anybody that's descended from Adam, is born into rejection from God and his chosen King Jesus. Because of that, because we're born into rejection and rebellion of God, we're guilty of treason against God and guilty for the murder of Jesus. We killed him and we're guilty. They killed him and they're guilty. The punishment for killing Jesus 
is total separation from all that Jesus had in eternity. He was in God's presence, surrounded by God's grace, his goodness, his mercy, his kindness, his love, his provision, his care. And instead of experiencing that, a punishment for killing Jesus is experiencing all of God's anger, his wrath, his hatred of sin, his justice, and his vengeance for all eternity. However, that's not where the Bible stops. That's not where Peter stops. And that's not where we're going to stop today. Because if we did, that would be a really kind of downer on your Sunday. Um, There's some more that happens after that. From verse 24 he says, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Here he says, God raised Jesus from the dead. We killed him, but God raised him back to life. And I absolutely love the language that Peter uses in this verse. It pictures Jesus kind of in my mind's eye being a strong man who's bound by, by death and pain and suffering. But the chains that he's bound by aren't strong enough to keep him there. He just kind of stands up and shatters them and walks out of death. It's just a great picture that Peter uses. And then Peter talks from one of the Psalms of David and he breaks back into Israel's history talking to Hebrews and Israelites and Jews who would have known all this. From verse 29 he says, um, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He says David was a great king. David was like the best king that Israel ever had in the Old Testament. He was the one they would look back to and think, it would have been brilliant to live in David's time. But he says, David was great, but he died. And we know where his bones are. We can go and point to the place where David's bones are. And he said that David knew that there would be a true son of David who one day would be the true Israelite, who would be the true Israel. And he said that that person is Jesus. He's the one that David spoke of all those years ago. He says Jesus is the one whose body didn't decay because it didn't stay in the grave. Jesus is the one who God raised back to life. Jesus is the one who David spoke about. Jesus is the one who's gone uh, from earth back to heaven to be with God and to rule over his church and his world. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who is the Messiah. David said the Messiah would die and come back to life and then sit at God's right hand. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is God's holy chosen king. Jesus is the saviour of his people. You can just imagine as the crowd listen to Peter talk about Jesus, get them all excited about who he is, and then punch them in the face as he says, you killed him. And then bring them back to the point from feeling really guilty to actually God's raised this person back to life so that you too 
can be transformed. Spirit preaching is also transformational. It's a really long word. Had to check the spelling. Um, what happens to the hearers when Peter, by the power of the Spirit, preaches about Jesus? In here, in the NIV, it uses the word. It says, as they listened to Peter preach about Jesus, it says, hearers were cut to the heart. It says their hearts were pierced by the Spirit. When they hear Peter say, you killed Jesus, you can just imagine them feel really, I don't know, terrible inside. It says your rejection of Jesus, your hatred of God's rule, your hatred of God and your hatred of God's rule in your life, your desire to be the centre of your own life. It says these are all wrong because they're not about Jesus. They're about you. God says that Jesus is king and you say uh, that you are king. But God's spirit worked in their hearts so that they knew that Peter was telling the truth of what God says. The thing that I found amazing was when I was reading through this, it's that the same word that says they were cut to the heart is exactly the same word used when the soldier sticks a spear in Jesus' side on the cross to just check that he was dead and blood and water flowed out. So here when the disciples are cut to the heart, that same word is used in the Gospels. But the response of the crowd at this point is just amazing. So it says there, um, therefore, from verse 36, therefore, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you, you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other, other apostles, I'm getting all my words and letters mixed up, said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That's a great question for them to ask. They stood there, they've heard about Jesus, they've heard that he's been killed by them, they've heard that God brought him back to life. And they're cut to the heart by the Spirit and they say, what shall we do? They're saying, what you're saying has a direct impact in my life. What you're saying is more important than everything. There's something about what you're saying that means I have to do something in response and I can feel that inside. Peter replies to them, and Peter replies to us in the same way. If you feel that God is cutting you to the heart today by the Spirit, Peter gives the only correct response to take. He says some of the most famous words in all the Bible. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. His response is, it's very simple, really. He says, if God is touching your heart in the middle of your rejection and rebellion of Jesus, the command of the Bible is a simple one. It is to repent. And to kind of break that down, it's, that means in your heart, let Jesus become the king of your life and abdicate the throne of your life so that a better ruler can take it up. In your mind, surrender all your authorities to the ultimate authority of Jesus and his word. He says, and in living out your life, stop living it for you. Turn around and start living it for Jesus. It's a really simple thing for Peter to say. It's a really difficult thing for the people to go and do. It's not a painless process either. And it's because it starts by being cut to the heart. But the result is that they receive a new heart, one that loves Jesus.
the next thing that they're to do is they're to be baptised. Now, don't get me wrong, the baptism doesn't save them. It's their faith in Jesus that saves them. But baptism does do a couple of things, though. Firstly, in baptism we show others that we want to be associated with Jesus. We go under the water in his death, we come out of the water in his resurrection and ascension. And secondly, we identify ourselves with his new community of believers, living under his good rule and reign and freedom from sin and liberty to serve and worship God. So as we come to try and hopefully make sense of some of this for us, I have this question. I'm not quite sure where I found it. What should I do? It's the same question they asked. What should I do? And I have three answers for you, and they all belong. They all start with B. So you'll know when they come up because they all start with B, and they'll come up on the screen. Now I really hope that this is is your question as well, because of all this, what should I now go and do? So here they are. It's the first one. Um, they all begin with B. The first one is be forgiven. If you're here and you know that you're not a Christian, you're not a believer in Jesus, you're not experiencing the freedom and the liberty of the children of God, if you feel like life has no real purpose or meaning, if you don't know why you're not a Christian yet, I can tell you with absolute certainty and promise you that today, that here and now, you can have your sins forgiven. You can know Jesus as your King. You can receive the Holy Spirit into your life and bring you from death to life. The question is kind of, how do I do that? Uh, well, if, if that's what God wants for you, right now you can tell him. You can just say, but that's what I want. I want to be part of your people. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart. And you want your sins forgiven. Tell him that you, you want to know Jesus. And, it, and you know that it's only Jesus that can solve the problem of sin in your life and bring you back to God. If you want to be forgiven, just ask God to forgive you. He can and he will, all because of Jesus. So that's the first B. Second B is be realigned. So if you're already a Christian, encourage and let the Holy Spirit probe into your life and show you where he wants to change you to become more like Jesus. Whatever he chooses to show you, repent of it and be realigned back with God's plan for you in Jesus. If there are areas in your life that you know you're, you're far off from God and you want no one to know about it, confess them to God. Remove the idol of whatever it is and ask Jesus to take up residence in your heart again. Take back his throne. If either of those are you this afternoon, um, if you've asked Jesus to forgive you, or if you've repented of your sins and you haven't been baptised, Peter's kind of sub-response to those two is be baptised. That's not the third one of the, the three Bs. That's just a sub-B on the first two. He says, um, he says be baptised. As humans, we're all born in Adam the Bible says. We're all born in sin and rebellion from God. But we're reborn when we become Christians into Jesus. Which is why in this church we don't um, baptise babies. You know, they're beautiful 
sometimes, small all the time, uh, bundles of prune-like, sometimes hairy, sometimes not hairy, bundles of sinful joy. When I, a good friend of mine not far away had a, uh, had a baby and I was in a, se- a seminar group with him and one month his wife was pregnant, the next month she'd had the baby. Um, so he turned up to the next seminar group and somebody said, Dan, uh, how's Evangeline, your daughter? And he said, oh, she's good. And my friend Chris, who's in the seminar group, said, no, she isn't, she's a sinner. Uh, and he's dead right. It wasn't the most kind of polite and nice thing to say. You won't go and buy a Hallmark card that says, congratulations on your new sinful child. But the Bible says we're all born into sin, from being really small, and some people here are still quite small, but we're all born into sin, but we're reborn into Jesus when we become Christians. We confess our sins, we are forgiven our sins, and we're reborn into Jesus. Now, if you believe in, your, if you believe in Jesus and have confessed your sins to him, have him on the throne of your heart, Peter says that you should be baptised and identify yourself with Jesus. I was really tempted to fill the baptistry today and put the heater in when it'd be really warm and say, do you know what? We've got a couple of sheets in the back for painting with. Get baptised and then we'll wrap you in a sheet and you can go home and sort yourselves out. Uh, but, you know, we'd be really happy to do that. We'd be really happy to plunge you into the water and pull you back up. Um, but there's a leak. There is actually a leak in the baptistry, so I thought probably not an excellent plan today. So, but if you do want to get baptised, do let us know, and we'd really, really, really happily do that with you. I was christened as a baby, uh, but it wasn't my choice, it was my parents' choice, and only a few years ago I was baptised as a believer. Okay, so that's the first two, and sub-point one, uh, and here's the last B in the what should I do. The last B is belong. Peter says... If you're a Christian, enjoy being part of God's chosen community, being part of God's people. Don't try to live a lone-ranging Christian life that goes on separate to the church. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were added to the church. It's just like they went from 120 that day to 3,120. Now that is some church growth, if ever I've seen it. And if God wants to do it again here, we wouldn't all fit, but it would be very exciting. But I imagine that at that point there was an awful lot of joy and an awful lot of chaos in the church. And I think there can often be two characteristics that we experience as Christians as well, joy and chaos. And I believe that if you're a Christian, God will work in your life, changing the order to chaos, changing our pain to joy, changing our hurt to love, our waywardness to foundness, our lostness to a security in Jesus, our rejection to adoption from death to life. So I want to encourage you to be a part of God's community. Be forgiven, be realigned, be baptised as a sub-point, and belong. Let's pray together, and then we'll close by singing. Father, I thank you for the words that we find in your word. Father, I thank you that It's all about Jesus. Father, I thank you that Jesus is creating a new community of people that are the church. You've been creating it for for thousands of years. Father, I thank you that, um, that as Peter spoke, people were cut to the heart by your spirit. Father, I pray that that would be the same for us here, that people would be experiencing the Holy Spirit's prompting in their life. 
Father, I pray that people would come to know you, that Christians would come, uh, confess their sins, they would repent and be realigned um, to you. And Father, I pray that people would desire to belong to your community and share real life together. Father, I pray that you would help us to do this by the power of the Spirit, by focusing us on Jesus, and by enjoying and delighting in his word. Amen.